Last fall, Tara Newell got to do what most of us only dream of. She put on a sleek red dress, brushed shoulders with celebrities like Eric Bana and Connie Britton, and took front row seat at a Hollywood premiere. She was about to see the first episode of the new TV series, Dirty John, based on her family's traumatic encounter with a violent grifter named John Meehan. Tara watched her life unfold in front of her, Hollywood style. She listened as Julia Garner, the actress who portrayed her, used a quiet, high-pitched voice and a pronounced Southern California accent. Tara sunk deeper into her seat. Hey. Do you remember me? As Dirty John, played by Eric Bana, wrestled Tara to the ground on screen, the real Tara was having flashbacks to her own encounter with John Meehan. This was supposed to be a night to remember. Now she just wanted it to end. The world has gotten to know Tara Newell's story through the podcast Dirty John and the TV show that came after it. It was terrifying to live through in real life, and Tara has done healing of her own. You may think you're okay, but you literally just went through this attack, this huge trauma, and you gotta you gotta go back to being a normal person and try to fix that because your brain changes after the attack. I can't even imagine what it'd be like to relive your trauma as a Bravo TV show broadcast out to millions of people, and then to have people pass their own judgment and even criticize your experience. But Tara says it was worth it if it helps people. I've had some women that told me that they left their relationships because they're able to see the red flags now and what it can lead to. And that is why we did this story, Mm -hmm. is to help spread awareness and hopefully help save some lives. But fighting back was only the beginning of Tara's ordeal. She had to cope with the destruction John Meehan brought into her life, including rebuilding trust with her mother, Deborah. Tara Newell, the surprise heroine of Dirty John, joined us to talk about that. This is I Survivor. From Wondery, I'm Jenna Brister. And I'm Wagatwe Wanjuki. And this is I Survivor. Hey, Jenna. Hey, Wagatwe. Welcome back. I'm so happy to be back. This is a show that celebrates the people who fought back, who won, and who dedicate their lives to growing stronger every day. And today, we're speaking with Tara Newell, who you heard at the top of the show. Unless you've just miraculously recovered from a dreamlike fugue state that you've lived in for the last few months, you've probably heard the words, Dirty John. I mean, they even included it on a Saturday Night Live sketch. Tell me something about you. I'm Hannah C. I'm 31, so I'm almost dead. My (laughs) ex-boyfriend is Dirty John, but he dumped me because I'm too clingy. It's become part of the zeitgeist to describe horrible men. The podcast told Deborah's side of the story, her relationship with John Meehan and her life since then. Spoiler alert. No, seriously, go listen to Dirty John if you haven't. But when you do listen to it, the show has a very clear hero. Tara. No one suspected that it would be Tara, Deborah's youngest daughter, who would take John down. When she shared her story with Christopher Gofford for the podcast, it was still so raw. Now it's been almost three years since her attack, and Tara Newell is here to talk about what happened since the day John Meehan attacked her and what her life has been like since the podcast and the TV show have come out. When you're living in fear, when you're running from a sociopath or psychopath, it's so scary. And 
there's times where you feel like you're losing your mind because it's just not normal to be in fight or flight mode the whole time. I was 24 when I first met John. My family's life before John was pretty peaceful. We were just super close family. Tara's mom, Deborah, she was single, so of course she wanted a companion. So, you know, she went on dates, and most of the guys, there were nothing to write home about. But then she met John. She was just ecstatic about him. She said that he was charming, that he is just wonderful, that he does everything for her, that he's just always there. Right away, there was just something off about John. Yeah, there was just a lot of stuff that wasn't adding up. So I I just had this fear about him, that he was going to come after me, that something was going to happen. It felt like this guy was truly evil. John was purposefully trying to drive a wedge between Deborah and her children. They didn't know it yet, but they were involved with a serious con man. It was also around this time that Tara broke up with her boyfriend. She moved back home to Orange County, ready to work on her relationship with her family. She got a new apartment and a job as a groomer in Newport Beach. Her mom was hiding from John and living with Tara's sister, Jacqueline. I was really fearful that John was watching me. I always felt like someone was just watching me walk, like watching me do stuff. I just remember walking home from Newport after the bars one night, and I just remember that I felt like someone was watching me and following me, and it was just the scariest feeling. So this is how I know he was stalking me, is because I went on a hike, I want to say like a few days prior, or maybe it was a week prior. Honestly, the timeline's a little foggy. Let's also pause for a minute right here. Tara says that she's having a hard time remembering the exact details about her attack, and that's actually really common. There was a large public discussion about survivor memories last fall, with Christine Blasey Ford's testimony against Brett Kavanaugh's confirmation to the Supreme Court. So Tara not remembering the exact dates and other details like that, but remembering vividly how it felt is actually really normal. But he saw me petting some Rhodesian Ridgebacks. And so he called and made an appointment for two Rhodesian Ridgebacks to get groomed on the day of August 20th. And he called and he had a fake accent, a fake French accent. I thought it was really fishy because usually the wives or the woman makes appointments for the dogs to get the groom. <laughs> so I thought that that was kind of weird. But he didn't show up for his appointment. So I was just like, hmm. I was going to a Jason Aldean concert, so my mind was a little preoccupied. I feed all the dogs, I put them to bed, and then I leave early, get home. I pulled into the gate at my apartment complex. My dog started barking and going off on this guy. This guy was fiddling in his trunk and he had a tire iron. And Cash is barking at this guy, and I'm just like thinking, oh, he's homeless living in his car. I just told him, knock it off. And then I proceeded to get out of my car when I parked, got Cash out of my car, grabbed him out the back seat, walked around by the license plate. Then John grabbed me by the waist, 
looked me in the eye and said, do you remember me? From that moment, I started to try to flee away from him. I was unable to disconnect from him the whole time and I ended up on my back and I was pedal kicking him as he was trying to stab me and I essentially was able to kick the knife out of the hand as my dog's attacking him and I was able to pick up the knife and kind of thinking that I need to kill him because he's going to come after me and he'll try to kill me again if I don't kill him in this moment. I watch a lot of Walking Dead, so I did the zombie kill to the head. When I was stabbing him, I just thought it's either him or me. I didn't think like, oh, this is my mom's husband. I honestly probably thought in that moment, like, I hate this guy. Like, why today? Why the day of the Jason Aldean concert? (laughs) Um, But I feel like in that moment, I didn't think. I just reacted. A lot of adrenaline, and I'm actually a pretty strong girl. Like, with working with dogs, sometimes you have to pick up the 100-pound dogs and put them in their cage. So, I mean, I had some muscle with working with dogs. When I was done with the attack, I immediately tossed the knife out of the way as far as I could, and I just started screaming for help. John did stab me. I didn't notice I was stabbed until after the whole, after John was on the floor, and then I was able to evaluate myself and figure out what I needed to do to take care of myself. There was no one around right after the attack until this lady walked up with her dog and she asked me, what can I do, what can I do? And Cash was running around, so I was like, just grab my dog, please, just grab my dog. And of course, I'm hysterical at that time. And then there was another guy that came up and he was on a bike, saw that I was bleeding, and then Skylar came up, the lifeguard, in training she came up she's 14 and she started helping me and told me that she's trained in this and that she just started asking me questions to calm me down and then the other guy went to John started doing CPR on him I told him stay away from him he might get up and try to kill you and then I just had to get away from him when he was doing that because I'm like, John wakes up, he's going to have tunnel vision, and he's going to get up, and he's going to get me. It's going to be me he goes after. He might, like, stab this guy real quick, but he's going to come after me. I had no idea how badly he was hurt, but I stabbed him in the head, so I was like, he's got to be brain dead or something. But then you never know, you just have that, you just need to get away from him because you see so many horror stories where these people basically kill the killer and then the killer still gets up. So I'm like, I gotta be prepared. And um, then at that time I'm like, oh, I should probably call like someone. The police were on their way and Tara finally got in touch with her mom. 
I call her and I'm like, I'm so sorry I killed your husband. The police get there and they're like, give me your phone. Because, <laughs> you know, you're not really supposed to make calls like when you killed someone. A few hours after John Meehan attacked Tara at her apartment, she finally got to see her mom. When I got to see my mom at the hospital, it was hours. The police were questioning me over and over again. They wouldn't let me see anyone. I go to Hogue Hospital, and they're continuing to question me and take photos of my face, my scrapes. I had scrapes on my shoulders. Like, I look like I was in a fight. Um, I was, like, had the tar all over my face. It was gnarly. And then when Tara finally got to the hospital, she got another surprise. I found out that he was still, he was still in the trauma unit and that he was on life support. And I was just kind of pissed off. I was like, why is this guy on life support? Like, why? That's such a waste of money. After the attack, when I was able to see my mom, I was honestly irritated with her because the cops told me that she went to go see John at the other hospital. I thought she just went there to be with him, and I was just kind of ticked off. When she showed up to the hospital room, I told her right away, I was like, you went to see John before you saw me? And then she was like, I needed to identify him I, I just needed to do that, Tara. I was honestly just so happy to have my mom there that that just didn't even matter to me. I refused stitches in my arm until she got there. He stabbed me in the forearm. I, I hate needles. I've never had stitches before, and I hate blood. To me, it was worse than it, the attack. But then they didn't realize I had another stab wound in the chest. They only thought I had the one on the forearm and then the slice on the face. So I then have to go to a trauma unit to make sure that I'm not bleeding out. And then when you get to a trauma unit, they don't treat you like you just was in a trauma. They're not careful with you or anything. When you get there, they're touch there's like 13 hands on you, poking needles into you and just touching you everywhere to make sure that there's no other stab marks. And that that freaked me out the most because after I was attacked by my mom's husband, then I have all these random people touching me and I don't know them. One of them could have been friends with John. So in my head, that was the worst. It was like after this attack, I'm just being touched everywhere and they're not caring and I'm literally just screaming at the top of my lungs on the hospital bed going crazy telling them please don't touch me please don't touch me. My mom was in the hallway and she was watching me go through all of this. She said it was extremely hard she just wanted to be with her daughter especially when I'm screaming. Tara was treated for physical injuries and after a few days went home to her mother's house. But the story doesn't end here. John Meehan was still alive and still married to her mother.
Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission-free. While other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees, so you can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. Plus, there's no account minimum deposit needed to get started, so you can start investing at any level. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. View easy-to-understand charts and market data and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock collections, such as 100 Most Popular. With Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio. Discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners of iSurvivor a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Sign up at iSurvivor.Robinhood.com. Big thanks goes out to Living Proof for sponsoring the show. If you're like me and you color your hair, you know how frustrating it is to spend all that time and money on color that's just going to fade in a few weeks. And it turns something that's supposed to be a treat into a real chore. But the scientists at Living Proof found a way to make hair color last twice as long. We're talking color care from Living Proof. Color care is an innovative three-product system that starts with a shampoo and conditioner. I've been using it lately, and you can color me impressed. Oh yeah! Coming through with the play on word puns. Which one is it, play on words or puns? I forget. When your color does eventually start to fade, fear not. Just use Living Proof's Color Care Whipped Glazes. There's one for highlights and blondes, and one for darker shades and redheads. And these glazes, they don't come to play. It made my hair color so gorgeous and vibrant. The entire Color Care line is silicone, paraben, sulfate, and cruelty-free. I love that it works, and I don't have to worry about those additives that don't play well with my hair. Make the switch to Living Proof today by visiting livingproof.com survivor and use promo code survivor for a free sample of their award-winning dry shampoo with your purchase. That's livingproof.com survivor, promo code survivor. Not until I got back to my mom's apartment, she told me that they wanted to donate his organs. And I was just like, wait, why isn't he dead? That was my response. And then she's like, oh, well, wouldn't it be good if we could save a life or something? And I was like, honestly, yeah, that would be great. John could do like one good thing. Yeah. And it's like these people that are getting a long lungs, they're not going to think like this guy was such an evil person. There will be horns on his liver. But he um, he couldn't donate it because his organs were unviable. Then we're like, okay, we have to put him down. We all wanted my mom not to have that responsibility. So we made her sign it over to his sister's. I felt guilty after the attack because I felt like there's got to be someone that loved this guy. But then his sisters came. They told me that they were living in fear, that they were happy that he was gone. His ex-wife was happy he was gone. And so I don't need to feel guilty whatsoever because he came after me. He tried to attack me as much as I hated him. I would never try to go after him and kill him. After the attack, you first go into shock. After the shock, you go through kind of like anger and guilt. There's so many emotions. 
And then I remember at one point I just felt unsafe. Anyone who didn't like me (laughs) felt like they could try to kill me. So I went a little crazy thinking about that stuff. Tara said that's one thing she wished she knew after the attack, that it would take a long time and a lot of distance before she felt okay. It's so important to go to therapy right after, get help. You may think you're okay, but you literally just went through this attack, this huge trauma, and you gotta you gotta go back to being a normal person and try to fix that because your brain changes after the attack. Your mind goes to flight or fight mode afterwards, and anything that's considered a threat, you're going to react towards. I didn't have nightmares about the attack until probably 10 months afterwards. I smoked a lot of weed after the attack just to try to cope with things, and that's a good beta blocker. So when you go to bed at night, and I don't recommend for anyone to smoke a lot of weed after their attack. Uh, Try to be sober and go to therapy and get help because you don't want anything clouding your thoughts and you want, you don't want to be dazed. With me smoking weed, it didn't make me have any bad dreams from the attack. And then when I got sober, I started to have bad dreams and it was crazy because I was like, it's been 10 months and I never had a dream like this. And then I'm a Christian. So what helped with those dreams go away was I would literally read the Bible before I would go to bed and then just pray like, I don't want to have these bad dreams. Please don't let me have them. Nightmares weren't the only thing that Tara had to deal with. She couldn't resume her life because of the triggers from her attack. Like, I tried to go back to work, but I couldn't because Cash barked and he warned me about the attack. So that's one of my triggers. I would just, like, would melt down and all the dogs barking, it just made me just have panic attacks and I could not do my job. I had to get rid of my Prius and I feel like maybe me going back to work on that street just didn't help either. I felt like I was losing my mind. I just didn't know how to cope with anything. Like there was this guy, he was like an older guy, and he just like, I don't know if he like wanted to give my dog a treat or something, but he like pointed at me and it just like something switched in my head and I literally ran off crying. And then my friend just like, was just like, "Uh, are you okay? Like what's happening? And I'm like, I I just have to go home. So it's like your mind goes from one thing to an extreme. It's easy to get into like a mode where you go out and drink. And like, that's what I was kind of doing also to cope with everything because I didn't ever really want to be alone. And all my friends were like, oh, well, like, let's go out. And then I would go out and hang out on the peninsula. But, like, there'd be nights where I didn't drink, but because I had so many triggers, it made me want to drink more. So I didn't, I wasn't aware of my triggers. And that's just unhealthy. You really just kind of need to be in a sober mindset to get 
through your PTSD. Finally, Tara had to get out of Southern California altogether to focus on her healing. I went through like a a moment with my sister where we were just kind of going through all of our PTSD and she had some also. And then we kind of just got in a fight and I thought I need to go to Texas because one of my other sisters is there. She just had taken time off from work. And so she was able to help me get the help I needed. So it was just a transition. And going to Texas, it was so amazing. I was going to church like three times a week, going to therapy twice a week, doing rock climbing, going on lots of hikes, hanging with my dog. So it was all about just doing things to heal yourself. And it was just really a time that I really needed in life. Tara had physically healed and was getting back to feeling like herself, but she still had to repair her relationship with her mother. And now millions of people were watching. I did not want it to be out in the public. And then the L.A. Times contacted my mom and my mom asked me if it would be something I was interested in. And I thought, oh, the L.A. Times, like that's. That's going to be, like, bigger than, like, the Daily Pilot article. It might be good to talk and get it out there and to share a story of other women. It's going to be almost three years now since the attack. After the attack, I felt like it wasn't my mom's fault. I was trying really hard to just be like, it's okay, mom. I felt like she was mourning over this person because she was in a relationship with him and she was in love with him at one point. So I felt bad for her at first. And then as like a year goes by, I realized I do have a lot of resentment towards her because she did bring this guy into our lives. She didn't listen to us. She was unable to see the red flags. My mom felt so guilty, but then sometimes she would be like, oh, he was so good at his game. And, like, he was so good at his game, but being the person stabbed, you just want to hear, like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And so that was a little hard to deal with, and I finally needed to get, like, an apology out of my mom, and I did. You did? Okay. Yeah. Did that help? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there will always be things they still need to really work on, to be honest. Um, But I love my mom, and we're working on it each day. Tara and her mother were healing off the air, but they never anticipated the criticism from listeners. I was for sure caught off guard by the victim blaming. Um, I thought that this story is so wonderful that someone was able to survive and stuff, and I'm just a positive person, so I don't think that people are going to be like, oh, like, she was so stupid. When I got that reaction, I took it really hard. It was days where I was honestly crying. I'm not used to people being this mean to me or my mom. I feel more prepared to handle the victim blaming because these people that are saying this, they're behind a computer. They're trolls. They are naive. They're, they're not having any compassion. And is that the type of people that I really want to be friends with? 
It was finally EMDR therapy, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, that helped Tara heal. You have to really find a good therapist. Like, search around, try them out. Yeah, like, you know how you get tasters at Baskin-Robbins? Do that with your therapist. EMDR is going through your trauma and going through the triggers. And basically, you have, um, like, little tappers in your hand. This is what I did. Or you could go by light movement. But I did the tappers, and for me also, you have to turn them down really low because I felt like when they were so strong that it was actually a trigger. So you just have to um, moderate yours, and you just go through the trauma, and you create a safe spot at first. And whenever something gets too strong, like your emotions get too high, you feel scared or anything, you go back to your safe spot. Um, But you go through the trauma each time, and it's supposed to lessen with how you feel about it emotionally. The safe spot is created with yourself. Yeah. Like my safe spot is... um, My dad used to take me fishing in Montana, and so there's a lake at um, the Diamond J Ranch, and it's just like a little lake where we would trout fish and do fly fishing, and so that's like my safe spot, but I've also added in my dog to the mix. It's like, it's kind of like you meditate and you bring yourself there. I've always been somewhat cautious about meeting guys I mean, I used to be on Tinder, but I'm not there on anymore because I just want to meet. So in the natural way, I recommend background checks 100%. And even a Google search will go a long way. I <laughs> I do this for some of my girlfriends. If she's like, oh, I met this guy at Stagecoach, for say, then I will get his number, get his first and last name, and then I will come back with his Facebook profile, his Instagram, his other Instagram if he has another Instagram, and everything else I could find on him. The best part about it is I've had some women that told me that they left their relationships because they're able to see the red flags now and what it could lead to. So that is the most amazing part, and that is why we did this story, is to help spread awareness and hopefully help save some lives. Absolutely. So that is the number one most important thing that I've ever heard and makes me so happy. But it also has shown that these women are not alone. And that if you've been through PTSD, been through a bad relationship— you can relate to us and a lot of people have also told me that for me being and going through such a huge trauma that it's been so cool seeing me just like get out and live my life and I mean that partially has come from like me going through this and then also me going through all my other stuff in the past of like me struggling with like depression and realizing that you could just wake up one day and say I'm not going to be sad anymore and just really change it and it's all mental like depression you're being sad because 
you want to be sad in this moment and you're telling yourself you need to be sad. And it's honestly okay to feel sad every once in a while, but don't live your life like that. And so I just went through this trauma and I said, I don't want it to affect my life. I don't want to wallow. I don't want to be victim blame. I want to show that I am a survivor and I'm proud to be one. Tara, thank you so much for being on our show. It was so nice having you here and hearing your side of the story. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. And um, everyone find Tara on her blog, taranewell.com. Yes, taranewell.com. A link in the show notes. And uh, you're amazing. You're a total inspiration. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So keep it up. I Kill like those zombies. Being here today. Yeah. <laughs> it was a good podcast. Good. Oh, good. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, keep it up. Thank you. I will. Thanks for listening to iSurvivor. We have six phenomenal episodes coming up this season with some amazing guests. From Wondery, this is iSurvivor. iSurvivor is hosted by me, Wagatwe Wanjuki, and Jenna Brister. This episode was produced by Diane DiStefano. Audio engineering by Sergio Enriquez. Sound design and additional editing by Bay Area Sound. iSurvivor is produced by Leah Sutherland. Executive producers are Marshall Louie, Stephanie Jentz, and Hernan Lopez. For Wondery. If you're Gen X like me, your childhood probably sounded like some combination of... And... But not so long ago, video games were almost exclusively played by the programmers who made them. On our new series, we're telling the story of how video games broke out of university computer labs and found their way straight to the heart of popular culture. I'm Stephen Johnson, the host of Wondery's show, American Innovations, where we tell the stories behind the inventions that have shaped our modern world. Listen to video games on American Innovations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the Wondery app.